Welcome to Citizen Science, stories of science we can do together, brought to you by SciStarter. In this episode, we explore the romance of citizen science, how through SitSci, you can not only find birds and bugs and plants and stars, but also new friends and just maybe that special someone. Well, it's February here in my science nook and everywhere else. And February is when we have Valentine's Day. And it's also the month of the astrological sign Aquarius, which is, we know from the fifth dimension, when love will steer the stars. And I bet there's at least a couple of other reasons why February is somehow related to love and romance. But why even bother looking? We just want to do this theme. So here we go. Many years from now, when people ask you how you fell in love with your spouse, are you going to be stuck saying, well, we went to this restaurant, or we met in a nightclub, or some other lame encounter that will have everyone yawning before you even finish the sentence? Or will it be, it was Valentine's Day, and we went out on a clear, frosty evening, gathering night sky data for NASA? Or we got together to monitor and protect whale sharks, the world's largest fish. Or maybe we work together for environmental justice in our community. Now remember, you only get one of these cute first meeting stories, hopefully, so you wanna make it good. Or if you already have a significant other and you just wanna do something new this year, or you just wanna to get together with some fun, science curious people, we have you covered for that too. And to help out, we have with us SciStarter's own citizen science advice columnist, Caroline Nickerson. Oh my gosh, I'm honored. Yeah, happy to be here. <laughs> Great. So uh, could you tell us a little bit about how citizen science could sort of, you know, help bring people together, maybe, uh, maybe even lead to a relationship or romance? Yeah, well, the thing about citizen science is it's great for community building. And this is true whether you're participating in your home uh, or whether you're participating outside. Um, I think the best thing about citizen science is it allows you to be part of something bigger than yourself. So let's say you're doing an outdoor project like iNaturalist. You can go on a nice walk with a loved one, with a new friend, uh, and discover things about the world together, help collect data, document the world around you, uh, and you know, hopefully create some bonds at the same time. But if you're doing a project where you're at home, you're still part of the global community because you're impacting research, uh, you're participating, and with many of the online events we have on SciStarter, you can actually communicate with other people um, via Zoom, um, in the chat, or however, um, we have different message boards we're getting up for Citizen Science Month this coming April. And even if you're just at home and you're participating in an online project like Stall Catchers, where you're classifying blood vessels for Alzheimer's researchers, you're still part of a big community and you can still communicate with people and um, be part of this awesome group of people who want to turn their curiosity into impact. Um, but I actually prepared some projects that have different Valentine's Day themes, if you want me to go through Oh, those. yeah, yeah, that would be great. I think that's the number one thing I hear at SciStarter. People sometimes get a little overwhelmed with all the different options. So let's say you wake up, it's the morning of Valentine's Day, you want to make an impact on science. Here are my recommendations for what you can get started with. Um, and you can do them by them yourself. You can do them with a loved one. You can, uh, you know, however you want to do this, this works. There's the Health e Heart Study. 
Um, that's a pretty popular project. Uh, people are, you're able to answer questionnaires about your heart and you're helping researchers understand some of the specific, specific predictors of heart disease. If you do this project with a loved one, you know, you're sitting next to each other and you're both, um, filling out these questions at the same time, you might learn something new about your heart. Uh, and what better time to do it than Valentine's day. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. Um, Valentine's Day is a great time for flowers. Um, so rather than just buying flowers for your Valentine at the store, I recommend that you, if you're in a place where flowers are starting to spread, uh, I know in Florida, I'm seeing the first few flowers come back after our very mild winter. Um, so I'm going outside. And Even I'm gonna- up here in Maryland, we're, really? we have had like no winter. We already are seeing like crocuses and snowdrops and stuff, even though it's like February. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Well, you could go out and do Bud Burst with your Valentine this Valentine's Day. Um, So that's a a project. It's based at the Chicago Botanical Garden, Um, but you can do it anywhere in the United States. Um, And you can study phenology for this project or how plants change with the seasons by um, submitting observations of plants around you, especially flowering plants. Um, Great. And if you're not in the States, uh, you could uh, potentially do Nature's Notebook, um, which I think is based in the States, but is relevant to some other countries, too. Or, of course, Ooh. iNaturalist is a project where you can document beautiful flowering plants anywhere on Earth. That's great. And the great thing about this is, as opposed to going out to a dinner where you're like facing each other and it's kind of, I don't know, it can be intimidating and you don't know what to say, you're, you're focused on something else um, and, uh, and sharing that experience. And it just seems a little bit easier to have conversations when you have something that you're doing together. Definitely. And let's walk through this, right? So let's say the first date is Valentine's Day. You participate in Bud Purse together. You're going on a walk. You're monitoring um, those flowering plants. Maybe you do iNaturalist as well and help study the species distribution of these plants. Um, let's say you get a second date. You could do the Great um, the back, great Backyard Burn Count. It's global. Um, and it takes place from February 17th to the 20th. Um, so oh, wow. In, yeah. So you can help. Um, it's one of the largest citizen science projects in the world. Um, and you just share pictures of birds, yourself, others bird watching um, in your yards or your favorite birding spots in your community. You can bird in urban areas as well. Um, and it's a great way to track different bird species. Um, and it's one of the most cited citizen science projects as well in terms of understanding how species are changing in response to climate change and other environmental factors. Um, so if you get that second date, definitely do the Great Backyard Bird Count February 17th through the 20th. That is great. Any any other particular projects that you uh, you want to highlight? Um, I mean, I think a big thing to highlight is you can do citizen science from anywhere, any day of the year. Um, and I want people who are might be spending Valentine's Day by themselves to know that if you do a citizen science project, you're still part of a big community, um, and it's just a great way to give back to the world. What better way to commemorate Valentine's Day, a holiday that celebrates love? Great. All right. Thanks, Caroline. Great advice. Thank you. (laughs) So Caroline mentioned nature walks and healthy heart research and flowers. Our next guest specializes in another potentially romantic citizen science activity, stargazing. Don Ficken is with the St. Louis Astronomical Society and is founder of the Missouri chapter of the International Dark Sky Association. Hey, Don, thanks for joining us. Of course. Now, um, you've been stargazing and involved in astronomy for a long time, and I'm just curious, um, you know, why you find it so compelling? 
Well, I think for me, at least, uh, I had so many years of working in business, I really didn't have a chance to go outside and actually enjoy the night sky. And when I go outside, it's like I'm connecting with other people in the world and through my ancestors. And who doesn't love to go out and look at the Milky Way or Orion or something fascinating? Or frankly, more recently, Jupiter, Saturn. They're just amazing to look at. And particularly through a telescope, it's just it's just terrific. Uh-huh. And you're not daunted by the fact that it might be cold or dark or or whatever, because you're kind of out in the elements. <laughs> well, it, yeah, it can be. I mean, obviously, if you dress ahead of time, I mean, if you go out with, you know, not really a light coat on, it's going to be bad. But then there's also summers. There's other times of the year. But this time of year, you know, where I live, sometimes it can be very cold, but just dress for success. And when you go outside, uh, by the way, you don't have to stay out that long. Uh, a lot of the telescopes that we use, for example, for the Library Telescope Program, I can literally set this up, go outside five minutes, look at a Jupiter or Saturn, and come back inside, and I won't even get cold. I mean, it's just uh -huh. that quick, so it's amazing to me. Okay, and then you touched on something I was just going to ask. What if people don't have a telescope? Um, what's the library? Um, could, you, could you explain how, how that works? Yeah, so I'm part of, a, I, I live in St. Louis, and we have a fairly robust program here to where you can check out telescopes from libraries, just like a book and even binoculars. But this is worldwide. Uh, we have a, a website called librarytelescope.org. It has a worldwide map. If you're in a particular state, you can pull up the U.S., click on your state, and we'll list what libraries that we know that are participating in the program. Hmm. We have well over, I think, 900 libraries. We're actually in Canada. Uh, New Zealand, uh, Belgium, wow. Netherlands, so it's all Love over the, the place. And typically it'll be a one to three week checkout kind of thing, and it's free. It's just part of your library okay. service. And what happens if you don't have, uh, can you still get involved um, even if you uh, don't have either a telescope or a library near you? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, first off, binoculars are underrated. Uh, they are very, very good. Uh, there are many things, surprisingly, that, that you might not think about that you can better see with binoculars than you can with a telescope. Huh. For example, the Pleiades, which I, when I was a little kid, I thought that was the Little Dipper, right? It's called the Seven Sisters. Very pretty. Looks like a little bitty dipper in the sky. Uh -huh. If you put a telescope on that, what you're going to find is you can see a couple of stars. But you put binoculars on there, just normal binoculars, it's gorgeous. It's oh. just very, very pretty. And because the binoculars will gather a little more light than your eyes, you'll be able to see the stars a little bit better. So even in light polluted skies, you might be able to see it pretty well. Hmm. Okay. And now I understand you're also involved with uh, Globe at Night. Yes. Um, what, what, and that's a citizen science project. Uh, can you tell us what that's about? Yeah, so Globe at Night is actually a very interesting, it's, it's, it's very much a citizen science thing. So, um, in fact, there was a big release that just came out recently. Uh, scientists, when they look when they look up the sky, they've been measuring the sky brightness for many years. They, they estimated that roughly uh, the growth is 2% per year global. That's the amount of light pollution. So what I mean is when you look up in the sky... Mm -hmm. When it gets brighter and brighter, you can see fewer stars. Now, we might say that's, that's important. You know, we might either love stargazing or not love stargazing, but it really does affect light on Earth. All the animals, all the frogs and butterflies and birds are all impacted by that light at night. So what Globe at Night does, it uh, this, re this recent study that came out, it said, well, we think that light pollution is increasing at 2% per year. And that was taking satellite views of, from you know space down to Earth. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing. People all over the world have been taking actual obser observations from the ground, okay? And what's happening is the light is the satellites are not picking up the sideways lights. They're coming from buildings. Mm -hmm. And the human eyes pick up a different spectrum than those satellites do. So here's what they came up with. 
about the last 10 years, it's increasing 10% per year. And they're wow. expected to double every eight years. So a person involved in citizen science right now can actually make a real difference. This might actually change policymakers saying, oh, this is really not very good, not just for stargazing, but for human health, for nature, for other things like that. Huh. And so how do we get involved? Uh, do you need any special equipment or, or, or you know, no, how, the, what do we do? No, the, the really good thing about it is you go to SciStarter and you can look up a Globe at Night uh, project in there, or you can mm-hmm. go to SciStarter.org slash Dark Sky. We have a bunch of Dark Sky projects in, in about measuring light. And literally all you have to do is look up in the sky if you follow the instructions. And right now, for example, you would look at Orion. In just a few days, you look at Orion and you count the number of stars and you match that against the picture. And the more stars you see, the better the, you know, the darkness is, it's mm-hmm. less bright. If you see very few stars, it's not very good. And, but you can tell from that how it matches up and you report what you see and where you saw it. Oh, okay, easy. And so, yeah, you have to do it when there's no moon, which is coming up pretty soon here. And mm-hmm. so, um, and what they do is they put that into a worldwide database of other measurements. And that's when scientists actually tap in and, and make real good use of that, which was the result of the study. Huh. Wow, that's great. So yeah, it is good. You it's a good combination. So there's the enjoyment of actual the stargazing. Um, they're seeing things you never saw before. Um, there's uh, there's groups too that do this, clubs and things, so you can oh, yes, um, right. learn more from other people. And while you're there, you can also contribute to uh, this um, light pollution research. Research. That's right. <laughs> research. And I and I think even better. Um, huh? Boy, what fun it is to go out with your significant other and just uh-huh. explore the sky together. You're working on maps together, you're pointing to stars, you're thinking about all the big worldly things, is your uh-huh. life out? I mean, you have all those wonderful conversations. You know what, you're not gonna get that in front of a computer. You're not gonna uh-huh. get that in front of your TV. What a way to go out and have a good time. That is so great. All right, thanks so much, Don. All right, awesome, thank you. Don mentioned stargazing events led by astronomy clubs, and if that interests you, you can go to the website sciencenearme.org and just put in your location and the search term astronomy, and you'll, you'll get a list of astronomy events and clubs that are near you. And really, you can search for any science term at sciencenearme.org. Now, another fun science activity you can do with friends or significant others or not yet significant strangers is just exploring nature. And iNaturalist is an amazing online community that can help. We have with us Carrie Sulzer. Carrie has a PhD in ecology and worked for National Geographic and the National Science Foundation before joining iNaturalist as their stakeholder engagement strategist. Hey, Carrie, thanks for being with us. Hey, Bob. (laughs) Thanks for the invitation. Yeah. All right. So for this special edition of the podcast, we're we're almost like relationship counselors here. We're help. We're letting people know that citizen science is a great way to meet new people, uh, a great way to get to know somebody, a great way to see about your shared interests and curiosity. Um, and I think iNaturalist, you know, your uh, your platform. Uh, is perfect for that because you can go searching for the sorts of projects that interest you and uh, and possibly someone else. That's right. <laughs> so iNaturalist is a way to share your encounters with biodiversity in the natural world. So 
You don't even need to search for any specific project, but I know that can be helpful to give you a sense of direction. It can be a little bit overwhelming to know that you can walk out your door or not even walk out your door and take a photo or record a sound of any wild plant or animal you see. I don't generally recommend recording sounds of plants though. Um, those aren't usually very identifiable. You can stick to No, they're like, they can be, they're, they're shy. <laughs> they are. They don't say a whole lot with words, at least. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and if you're an indoor person, you can find a project uh, that, you know, you can do at home without even setting foot outside. If you're an outdoor person, you can find ones like that. You can find, if you're a night owl, there's things at night. And I know a lot of them are sort of solitary, but a lot of these projects are group related. You, you go out with a group or you, you know, either small or large. So um, if people want to meet people that are interested in things that they are interested in, how might they go about that with iNaturalist? Yeah, that's a great question. So there's meeting people on the internet and then there's meeting people in real life, right? So let's talk first about meeting people on the internet. Okay. Posting observations of the things you find that you think are super cool and posting identifications if you've got expertise to help identify things in your area or beyond. Adding identifications is another way to interact with people on iNaturalist and a great way to give uh -huh. back to the community if you've really enjoyed getting identifications on your own observations. Mm-hmm. So iNaturalist is like, uh, um, just for people who aren't that familiar with it, it's very image-based, right? You're sharing pictures of things or uh, uh, organisms or phenomena, and other people are helping you identify them. And sometimes it's um, very broad, the things you're looking for, and sometimes they're really, really, really specific, right? Yeah, so when you post a photo of something that you see, let's say you go out for a walk and you see a weed, perhaps it's flowering, it caught your attention, you never noticed that before. You take a picture, you post it to iNaturalist, you're sharing it with, you're sharing it publicly on the internet, including, including your location, keep that in mind. Mm -hmm. um, but then mm -hmm. other people in the community can help you identify what it is, or if you happen to already know what it is, they can confirm the identification. So this okay. is a cool way, especially if you observe something that's like kind of rare or really exciting to find mm -hmm. other people who think it's cool and exciting. And there are some great examples of little sub-communities on iNaturalist that have developed around some things that haven't gotten as much attention as really charismatic groups like birds, for example. So uh -huh. one example of a group that has a lot of enthusiasts and a growing group of enthusiasts on iNaturalist is Gauls. So a gall, Gauls? Gauls. G-A-L-L-S. <laughs> okay. Galls are these growths that form on plants and they're they're induced by some other kind of organism. So it's evidence of something other than a plant interacting with that plant. And oh. the kinds of growths that they make can be very easily identified to species once you've got enough um, scientific expertise and description of these different species. There are lots of different things that can make galls, but some of the most common gall-forming organisms include a lot of wasps. Uh -huh. And galls on iNaturalist 
um, there's some projects for them, but probably the best way to get your observation of a gall noticed is to add something called an annotation. And, and, and you can add an annotation, even if you don't know at all what it is, mm -hmm. you can add an annotation for gall, and that will help people who are looking to identify galls find your observation and hopefully be able to identify it um, more, more finely, if not to species, maybe to genus, maybe to family. But there's increasingly a lot of gall enthusiasts on iNaturalist, and so that can also be a really great thing to look for at this time of year. Because even if you're if you're in the northern hemisphere, it's sort of you know mid late winter. There's not a whole lot happening outside right now, and you might think, oh, yeah. why would I even bother trying to post iNaturalist right. observations right now? But galls on woody plants, especially, can persist over the winter, and so you can still find like sometimes they look like a little lump on the stem, or you might find a little uh -huh. lump that's on a dead leaf on the ground. So keep your eyes out for galls. This is still a good time of year to find them. Yeah, they can't get away. It's That's easier right. to take a picture. They don't run around. And so basically some organism is tricking a plant into making um, a food source or a little home yeah. or a little place for it to lay its eggs where it'll be okay. safe. Uh, and the plant, um, you know, is being used for that purpose. Uh, and, you know, in some cases, I guess they're bad for the plants. In some cases, it's neutral, right? I mean, there's there's an energetic cost to the thing that the plant has to grow, um, mm -hmm. but it's it's not common to see a plant totally over overrun by by gall uh -huh. So, okay, um, I think that. And now there's so I bet you know when you're talking about how you met your significant other, very few other people are gonna be are gonna have the same story as you that you met over identifying galls. Probably. That's right. That's going to be that's going to be a unique uh, meet cute story. That would be a sweet one. Yeah, yeah. I and, also uh, want to point out that you don't even have to leave home to post observations to iNaturalist. Okay. There is a whole project called Never Home Alone, and the oh. point of that project is documenting the organisms that we. I would say unintentionally share our homes with. It's not for posting okay. your pets, like that's an intentional choice, but it is for the spiders you find in your shower or um, hopefully not the, <laughs> hopefully not some of the least um, savory things that you might encounter in your home like lice or so you go, bugs. Do you go exploring your house for other animals living there? Do, do I personally? No, I mean that's the that's the idea behind Never Home Alone. You go yeah. you go seeing, hey, who else is living here? That's right. Yeah, that's right. Well, so if that's a date, you better really know or be very confident before you go exploring for uh, <laughs> other living things. Maybe that's not a first bug, date. Bed bugs. Not what? A first, that's probably not a first date. That's not a first date. No, that's <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah you got to be pretty far along to, to have that kind of confidence. Wow. Okay. And I hope, All right. I hope nobody out there finds finds bed bugs. But if you do, no. <laughs> there's a project for that. Oh, there is. Okay. I mean. All right. The I... Never Home Alone project, assuming. You oh know. yeah, I, I get it. I get, well, then there's another project, but it probably isn't on <laughs> iNaturalist, but it involves um, chemicals and or something. That's right. Okay. That kind of project. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, anything else? What What other encouragement can you give people to make iNaturalist their destination 
uh, to not just indulge their own curiosity, but to uh, kind of meet other folks with similar interests? I think it can be a great thing to build a tradition around. So for example, maybe you go on a date, you make it a thing every date, you go and you each try to make one INAT observation while you're out on a walk around the neighborhood or at home. But, mm-hmm. you know, building that sort of that 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 just tradition that it's a, a thing that that you can do together to explore. And, 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 you know, the cool thing about going out and making iNaturalist with observations with other people is that people notice different things. And so you almost always see more when you're out with someone else than you would see on your own because you somebody's looking up and somebody's staring at the ground. I'm uh-huh. one of the people who's usually staring at the ground. And so maybe totally oblivious to what's happening with birds, but, you know, I'll mm-hmm. find a cocoon on the ground or something cool like that. So uh-huh. I think it's just a great way to, to, to build a tradition. Cool. All right. Well, thanks so much, Carrie. Thanks, Bob. Before we wrap up, I want to check back with Caroline Nickerson to get her impressions and any final advice. Okay, so thanks for coming back with us, Caroline. We've uh, uh, heard from Don Ficken about stargazing and, and Carrie uh, Seltzer about um, uh, iNaturalist and some of the other projects, Never Home Alone. What'd you think? That was awesome. I definitely <laughs> want to go stargazing uh, this Valentine's Day. And I know that is a good one. Well, yeah. Globe at Night, the constellation this month is Orion, which is so easy to spot. So, you know, mm-hmm. you're really, you, you need to do it. If you like stargazing at all, this is a great time to document light pollution. So thank you, John, for that awesome idea. Um, and yeah. I mean, Carrie, I mean, Never Home Alone, that's one of the greatest projects. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I'd want even someone I've, I've, I'm in a relationship with to go digging around looking for bugs and things in, in my house, but in the house. But uh, if you're comfortable doing that, I think go for it. Yeah, and we got, you know, <laughs> our six-legged, eight-legged friends living in our homes right alongside us. So <laughs> always yeah. a good time. Yeah, and, and there's fungi and there's all <laughs> sorts of things that if you look close enough, you'll find them in any house. Exactly. <laughs> All right. And uh, I want to tell our our, uh, listeners and viewers at home, uh, feel free to email us after after Valentine's Day or whenever to tell us your stories to see if you did any of this stuff, if you met anybody and, uh, you know, anything you want to share about your citizen science relationships. Yeah, I know (laughs) on my end, that's one of the best parts about being able to work with SciStarter hearing about the way citizen science makes a difference in your lives. So if you learn something new, um, if you uh, got outside um, after, you know, not really engaging with your community for a while and you help document a, a bee or a butterfly that you spotted to contribute to the global scientific enterprise, if that, you know, helped improve your day in some way or helped you engage with the people around you in some way, that always makes me really happy to hear. So please don't uh-huh. hesitate to get in touch and let us know. Great. All right. Thanks, Caroline. Thanks, Bob. Talk to you soon. Is that enough inspiration? Now it's all up to you. Go find the citizen science activity that most inspires you, and maybe you'll find a kindred spirit to join you. For SciStarter, I'm Bob Hershon. This podcast is brought to you each month by SciStarter, where you will find thousands of citizen science projects, events, and tools all at SciStarter.org. 
That's S-C-I-S-T-A-R-T-E-R dot org. SciStarter's founder is Darlene Cavalier. And thanks so much to you, the listener and the citizen scientist, for getting involved and making a difference. If you have any ideas you want to share with us and any things you want to hear on this podcast, get in touch with us at info at SciStarter.org. Once again, our email address is info at SciStarter.org. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.